Wonderful. Uh, good evening. It is five o'clock on Sunday, the 6th of June. Uh, this is Kingfisher Church live at five. It's our uh, Sunday evening uh, Bible blast. 30 minutes of looking at a passage of scripture together um, in order to round up our, our Sunday, our Lord's Day um, together. We're looking at Proverbs 29 this evening. We're going to be thinking about how stiff our necks are. Um, so let's ask for God's help as we come to God's word together. Let's pray. Now the psalmist says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Oh God in heaven, we praise you that you are a rock and fortress and deliverer. We praise you, my God, that you are our rock and we can take refuge in you. And we ask, dear God, that as we come to hear you speak in your word, that you would draw us into the refuge that you have made yourself to be for us. Lord, we we need your help. Uh, we come very needy. We pray that in your mercy that you would use your word uh, to stir life in us and to pro poke us and to provoke within us a, a greater love for you a greater grasp of all that you have done for us in the lord jesus now please would you help us now i ask for jesus sake amen so let me just sort out this computer screen here so it doesn't distract me too much very good okay um so we are in the book of proverbs proverbs um we've been there for quite a long time and the book of Proverbs impresses upon us the life of wisdom and what it is to live in the fear of the Lord, what it is to to trust the Lord with everything, with all that we are. And we're coming towards the end of the book of Proverbs. Um, we're in Proverbs 25 to 29. Proverbs 25 to 29 is called the Hezekiah Collection. You see, uh, Solomon, who wrote much of the wisdom we find in Proverbs, um, he compiled his wisdom into a collection, uh, but but it seems that many years after his death, um, his wisdom was still kind of doing the rounds. Uh, and so under the reign of King Hezekiah, um, a group of people got together and they, they drew together this wisdom of Solomon and added it to the original collection, the Hezekiah collection. We're, we're, we're at the end of it now, it's probably 25 to 29, and we're in the last part this evening. And um, it's going to help you loads if you are able to follow along in a Bible with a Bible open in front of you as we look at Proverbs 29. I'm going to read it for us and then we'll explore it together. Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. When the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. A man who loves wisdom brings joy to his father, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. By justice, a king gives a country stability, but those who are greedy for bribes tear it down. Those who flatter their neighbours are spreading nets for their feet. Evildoers are snared by their own sin, but the righteous shout for joy and are glad. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Mockers stir up a city, but the wise turn away anger. If a wise person goes to court with a fool, the fool rages and scoffs and there is no peace. The bloodthirsty hate a person of integrity and seek to kill the upright. Fools give full vent to their rage, 
but the wise bring calm in the end. If a ruler listens to lies, all his officials become wicked. The poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of both. If a king judges the poor with fairness, his throne will be established forever. A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. When the wicked thrive, so does sin, but the righteous will see their downfall. Discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Servants cannot be corrected by mere words, though they understand they will not respond. Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There's more hope for a fool than for them. A servant, pampered from youth, will turn out to be insolent. An angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honour. The accomplices of thieves are their own enemies. They are put under oath and dare not testify. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Many seek an audience with a ruler, but it is from the Lord that one gets justice. The righteous detest the dishonest. The wicked detest the upright. How stiff then is your neck? Uh, the NHS uh, website um, tells me that in the complaint of a stiff neck, one of the things to do is to keep moving it. If you have a stiff neck, you've got to keep moving it. Now, now of course, you're only going to do that. You're only going to take that advice and keep moving your neck if, first of all, uh, you recognise that you have a stiff neck. And secondly, you don't want to have a stiff neck. Those are the things you need in order to take the advice of keep um, to keep on moving your neck in order to stop it being stiff. At this passage before us this evening, Proverbs 29, it, it begins by bringing our attention to the case of a stiff neck. See that in verse one? Uh, it's a brilliant image, really, isn't it? Um, a, a stiff neck describes someone who is obstinate, someone who's who's completely kind of stubborn and fixed on their own line. If there's any other way of seeing things or, or any suggestion that they might be wrong, um, it's water off a duck's back to the person with a stiff neck. They will not look to the right or to the left, or they will not look up, they will not look down. Uh, they have a path that is set and they will not be moved. And it is not a compliment to have a stiff neck. It's not a compliment. Uh, last time we saw that Proverbs 28 and 29 have been kind of quite carefully put together. And that over these two chapters, there are a, a number of kind of seams that have been embedded into the text in order to separate it out. And these seams are marked by verses contrasting the wicked and the righteous. Now, chapter 29, verse one sits between two of these righteous, wicked verses. And that gives a load of prominence to this first verse that confronts us with the problem of the stiff neck. So that's our issue that we're going to be thinking about the stiff neck. How stiff is your neck? How do you know? How do you answer a question like that? How would you know? Well, I guess, no, if you uh, if you have a, a tent peg and you wanted to know how stiff it was, uh, you take either end of it and you would apply force and you try to bend it. And it's only when you try to bend it, you can discover how stiff it is. And so see what it says in verse one. Whoever remains stiff necked after many rebukes. Here's the test. 
It's a rebuke. Being told or being shown something has to change. How do you respond to being told that you need to change? Uh, you need to see something different or, or, or act differently or speak differently or maybe even feel differently. Uh, how, how does it feel to be told you have to change? And, uh, and what, what does it mean for us? You know, the, the opposite of having a stiff neck doesn't mean that we get kind of blown here and there by the, the latest thing that we get told. Uh, the, the opposite of having a stiff neck is not about being molded into the opinions of the people around us. No, we have to think, where does the rebuke come from that tests our stiff neck? Where does the rebuke come from? The New Testament tells us, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. See there, that, that verse is telling us that the whole of the Bible has a usefulness to us in rebuking our stiff necks. In fact, we see it in our passage in verse 18. If you glance down to verse 18, it says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. That casting off of restraint is uh, the same phrase that's used in Exodus 32, verse 5, where it, it describes how the children of Israel have been rescued by the Lord from Egypt. And they're in the wilderness and they, they get impatient. And so they, they make a golden calf to worship as the God that saved them. And in their worship, it says they cast off restraint. They run wild in their worship. Now, that's what verse 18 is saying. Without the voice of God, without divine revelation, people just make it up for themselves. And the result is chaos. And verse 18 goes on. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Uh, literally, uh, verse 18, the second half says, but blessed is the one who keeps the Torah. That is the written instruction, the written revelation of God in the Bible. So how stiff is your neck? Well, the litmus test is really found in your relationship to what God says in the Bible. Not how much you know of what God says, not kind of how often you read the Bible. But verse one says, after many rebukes. You see, that there is this sense in which every engagement we have with the Bible brings something of a rebuke to us. Every time we, we open the Bible, there is a call for us to change. And we can do that many times. We can hear many rebukes. And yet, even after hearing many rebukes, we can still approve our necks to be stiff. Now, you may be thinking, all right, OK, does it matter? does it look at verse one whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy this matters it really matters and as kind of verse one is the kind of headline verse the rest of the chapter explores this condition of stiff necks and and the question for us as we take it into our exploration is how do we soften our necks how do we avoid having a stiff neck how do you soften your neck well verse two brings us to one of these righteous wicked contrasts you see when the righteous thrive the people rejoice when the wicked rule the people groan we have 
two societies here. In one of these societies, the righteous thrive. And it says the result is joy for everyone. It's a wonderful place to live. And then we have another society where the wicked rule. And the result in that society is groaning and agony. It's a terrible place in which to live. And as our passage goes on, it it kind of builds up a, a picture see, with a series of kind of snapshots of these two contrasting communities. Now, this place where the righteous thrive verse 4 says it's a place of stability the just king gives stability there's not that kind of communal anxiety that everything's about to fall apart it is a stable place verse 6 it is a joyful place the righteous shout for joy and they are glad that's the atmosphere of the community verses 7 to 8 it is a caring place the righteous care. They they notice where the need is and they act to help each other and they diffuse tensions. It's a peaceful place. Uh, the place where the wicked rule, the other place, is terrible. Uh, in that other place, greed is what decides and lies are the currency and evil is what is done and that the needy get trodden down and there is no peace. And, and as these snapshots build up these pictures of these two places, as we reflect on them, it's to make us ache to live in that righteous community. And that's the world we want. It's, it's like somebody coming back from a from visiting a foreign land. Doesn't happen these days, does it? But somebody comes back from visiting a foreign land and you ask them to describe the place they've come from. And, and they, I know, they tell you about the fauna and the flora and the architecture and the language. Proverbs 29, part of what it does is it gives us a report of this land of righteousness. And the report says the sound you hear in this land is joy and the air you breathe is peace and the currency is gladness and the architecture is stability and there is truth and there is justice. It's not at all like the land of the wicked. That is a dark and a confused and a dangerous place. It's a place of suffering. It's where all abuse and are abused and you never want to go there. And, and as this contrast gets built up, what we begin to notice is that this contrast between the righteous and the wicked, there is a, a repeated assurance within it. There's a, a, a promise that in the end, the future is going to be incredibly bright just just track with me a little bit look in verse 11 there's a hint in verse 11 it says fools give full vent to their rage but the wise bring calm in the end in the end the end is peace it's it's a little hint it's like the first the first ray of the dawn the end is peace and then we come to verse 14 if a king if if a king judges the poor with fairness his throne will be established forever i say if if only there were there were a king of justice, then there would begin an unending reign of peace. If only there were such a king. We read on, we get to verse 26. Many seek an audience with a ruler. Many are looking for such a king of justice. But verse 26, it is from the Lord one gets that justice. You see, the, the eternal reign anticipated in the promises to King David realised at the birth of the Christ when the, the Lord himself took flesh and came and lived as a man and came as the king of truth. 
came as a king who cared for the poor and the needy, a king who noticed where there was need and acted towards it, and a king who went through death itself on behalf of his people, and then he rose again and he ascended, and in our humanity he went into glory. He he went up before the Ancient of Days and received from him a kingdom that will have no end. The Lord Jesus Christ See, verse 14 says, if there was a king and the rest of the Bible answers, there is such a king and his name is Jesus Christ. The future is incredibly bright. Look at verse 16. One of the kind of seam verses in our passage says, when the wicked thrive, so does sin. The opposite of verse two, really. And then it says, but the righteous will see their downfall. See, with with these two contrasting communities, only one will survive in the end. The future of the wicked society will fall and the righteous will thrive and the people will be crowned with joy and with splendour and it will be forever and ever. And verse 16 is a promise. God is proclaiming hope to a world that is wearied with wickedness, a hope that change is going to come. God God isn't saying it might happen, it might not. Maybe we kind of just just see how it goes. No, we we know because he's told us the righteous will look on the sudden downfall of the wicked. The future is going to be incredibly bright. The future, of course, changes how we experience the present. Verse 13 says the poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of both. It's a way of saying that in the present, these two communities of the righteous and the wicked are are locked in conflict, intertwined in conflict. The snapshots we see in in Proverbs 29 are things we see all around us today. So many instances of it. Yes, we see gladness, but it's short lived. And we see oppression and we see joy. And yet we see sorrow going hand in hand. We see love and we see hate. And it's all jumbled together, even in our own hearts. Now, the Lord's king is going to bring justice. The oppressors and their oppression will be wiped away and righteousness will thrive and gladness will fill our hearts. But for now, but for the moment, the Lord gives life to all, the poor and the oppressor. The Lord makes the sun to rise and the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. And the Lord is working out these great purposes in a world that looks very confused and contradictory. But... Let's not lose sight of our question. How is your neck doing? Remember verse one, headline verse. Whoever remains stiff necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Now this bright future will not be their future. The future is going to be incredibly bright. The personal question is, is it for you? Is it your future? How's how's your neck? How's your neck? Look with me at how our chapter ends. This the verse twenty seven is that final righteous wicked seam verse. It says the righteous detest the dishonest, the wicked detest the upright. You see this this division that's being kind of drawn out between the righteous and the wicked. It's not. It's not simply about outward behavior. It goes right into the deep parts of who we are. It's about the movement of what a person detests. It's about what somebody finds to be abhorrent. 
See, the, the problem with a fallen humanity is not simply that we sin. The problem is deeper than that. It's that we want to sin. That, that our, our affections, our desires are corrupted. Now, all of us know what it is to be tempted. Temptation works because sin appeals to something that is deep inside us. Without our sin-shaped hearts, then temptation would not tempt. So as for us, if, if we are to share in the bright tomorrow, we have to have something change in our hearts. We need our, our desires to undergo transformation. And you see, our necks spiritually are connected to our hearts. Now, without heart change, our necks will be stiff and our hope will be lost. Now listen to how um, Deuteronomy chapter 10 kind of pulls these things together. Uh, I, th I think the second half of Deuteronomy 10 is probably one of the most, uh, most lovely moving passages in the Bible. So maybe you'll forgive me if I read a few more verses than I need to. Um, but this is what it says. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? To walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. Often it reminds them the Lord is their God. They belong to him. And, and then the basis for that belonging says to the Lord, your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. Did you hear it? Circumcise your hearts. You have to have a heart change. Something has to be removed from your heart. And the result of that, that heart operation will be the loosening of your necks. Circumcise your hearts and do not be stiff necked. You need a new heart. Jesus put it, you must be born again. If that's really where verse one of Proverbs 29 takes us to. If you want to soften your neck and avoid destruction, well, you must be born again. Now, what does that mean in practice? Uh, even, even when we have new hearts, the, the connection between heart and neck can, can feel like it's a bit broken. And we, we still can stiffen our necks to the change that God wants to work in our lives. So let's, let's see how Proverbs 29 helps us. Let's, let's see how it describes some of the kind of stiff-necked responses to the rebuke of God's word. Warnings for us. Verse 9, let's start there. If a wise person goes to court with a fool, the fool rages and scoffs, and there is no peace. Here we have a, a wise person pleading with a fool to change, and the foolish response to that pleading is to rage and to scoff. That's a stiff-necked response. And maybe you're familiar with it. We get angry or we we got sarcastic maybe about what God's word says. And we we read something that God requires of us and we say, of course, 
yeah, right, God. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, of course I could do that. If only you hadn't given me the busy job I have, or if only my you hadn't given me children who don't sleep, or if only you hadn't done this or done that, then like, yeah, of course I could do what you say. So easy. And get sarcastic, scoffing. It's a stiff-necked response. Look at verse 18. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. See, basically, a stiff-necked response to God's word is to keep away from God's word. No revelation. And then you can do what you like. No rebuke. If you're never rebuked, you never find out how stiff your neck is. And so we just push it away. We don't read our Bibles. We distract ourselves at church. We push the challenge away from ourselves and onto others. And we never ask, what does my God require of me? It's a stiff necked response. Verse 20. Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There's more hope for a fool than for them. Quick to speak and slow to listen. And we could do that, can't we? We get God's word open, don't we? And then we apply all our own opinions to it. And it can look so respectable. It can look so holy and good. It can draw admiration from others. But it's just another way of being stiff necked because we've got our views and we stick to our views and we will not be corrected and changed. It's a stiff necked response. Verse 25. Fear of man. Do I need to say any more? When we're stiff-necked with regard to what God says, because we're soft-necked with regard to the opinion of others around us. When the vital question for us is not what does God say, but what will others think? It's a stiff-necked response. I know we need new hearts. We need new hearts. And so with the warnings of a stiff-necked response, what does a soft-necked response to God's word look like? Look at verse 23. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honour. Now, literally, this verse says something like, the pride of man makes him sink down, but the sunken spirit, glory takes hold. See, pride holds a neck stiff. Pride is when we rely on ourselves. It's when we rest on our own understanding, when we decide the way we will go. And pride is always false. All pride it believes a lie about the extent of our own ability to know. Pride believes a lie about the extent of our own ability to control things. The pride overestimates our capacity to want what is right and what is best. And it's false and it will always fail. It will drag us down. But the sunken spirits, the poor in spirits, those who confess their lack, those who mourn, confessing their wrong, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, rather than pretending that they already have it, they will be filled. And what God requires of us is to open our eyes to our emptiness so that he might fill us up. And the sunken spirits. Glory will seize hold of it. Those who abandon hope in themselves will find hope poured in from above. Now, what does a soft neck response to God's word look like? When we come to God's word, admitting our emptiness. When we come to God's word, praying, open my eyes or I will not see. 
When we come praying, open my mouth and feed me or I will starve. When we come saying, change my heart or I will always be the same. Shine your light or I will always be dark. Give me life or I am dead. Verse 25 says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Many seek an audience with a ruler, but it's from the Lord that one gets justice. The soft neck response seeks the Lord. But we need new hearts. That's all we need. And it's never easy to get a rebuke. It's always hard to be told that we're wrong. But when we, when we receive a rebuke, when we are the object of rebuke, what, what will make all the difference is if we see where the rebuke comes from. Let, let, let me just trace with you one more kind of thread in this passage that opens up for us the heart of rebuke and for us then the heart of changing our necks from stiff to soft. Verse one speaks about this, those who are stiff necked after many rebukes. Verse two speaks about the righteous and the wicked. Verse three. A man who loves wisdom brings joy to his father, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. And there in verse three, wisdom is compared to prostitutes. See, wisdom, she is the one who can bring wholeness and happiness. So when a man loves wisdom, when a man sets his heart on wisdom, that man's father sees and rejoices. Why? Why does why does his father see his son choosing wisdom and why does it make the father rejoice now isn't it because this proverb assumes the best of this father isn't it because this proverb assumes that this is a father who loves his son it's a father who longs for the best for his son and when he sees it his father is delighted now how does that wisdom come the wisdom of verse three how does it come We'll come down to verse 15. It says there, a rod and a reprimand, or a rod and a rebuke. The same verse is, the same word is in verse one. A rod and a rebuke impart wisdom. That's where wisdom comes from. But a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Wisdom comes through rebuke. And this, this, this rebuke that we're talking about is a rebuke that aims at bringing wisdom. And that wisdom, when it comes, it delights the heart of the father. And when that wisdom is absent, it pains the heart of the mother because these parents love their boy. Verse 17 pulls this principle together. It says, discipline your children, literally rebuke your son, rebuke again, rebuke your son. And they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. In verse 17, looking from the parent's perspective is showing how rebuke is the mechanism that brings wisdom. And, and those who are the best parents, the ideal parents, really, they so love and long their ch- for their children to have what is best, that their peace is founded when their children getting this wisdom. The, the, the delights that these parents desire is the flourishing of their children. See, the, the rebuke that we're dealing with here is a rebuke that comes out of a heart of love. And as we've seen in Proverbs before, this parent-child relationship is a window for us in how our God relates to us. Now, we are to trust the Lord. We are to seek the Lord. Only, though, because he has first sought us. 
You see, the, the heart-changing reality of God's rebuke is that it issues to us from a heart of love. And Proverbs 3 puts it like this. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. You see, the Lord, your God, is God of gods and Lord of lords. He is the great God. He is mighty and he is awesome. And he loves with an everlasting love. A love that doesn't come to the deserving. A love that doesn't come to the earning. A love that comes to his own. A love that has come to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love that that laid aside his majesty and exchanged all the riches of his glory for our poverty so that through his loss we might gain everything. Love that is written in the wounds of Calvary. Love that has taken on our sin and sorrow. Love that, that died for us. Love that rose for us. Love that has ascended for us and lives for us. And so now when this love rebukes us do not harden your hearts do not harden your hearts and when this love is poured into our hearts it reflects back to him in adoring obedience jesus says if you love me you'll keep my commands and so proverbs 29 says whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes Oh, let that not be us. Let's not be those who remain stiff-necked after many rebukes. We need new hearts, though. So let's set our gaze on this love. He loved us first. He loved us right to the end. Set our minds on Christ. Consider Christ. Consider his great love for us. And then let's hear every rebuke of scripture, every correction, every command as that which issues to us from his heart of love. And then we can trust him. And we can trust that if it comes from him, it's only going to be for our good. And so let our next turn and let our next bow in worship to our great, great God. Let's pray together. Oh, God in heaven, praise you that you love us so dearly, that you have adopted us through the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might call you our father. Oh, through faith in Christ, we are your children. And I pray that in your mercy to us, you would continue to mould us and shape us into the likeness of your son. And may we be soft in our hearts and our necks to hear your rebuke. Lord, as we come to the scriptures this week, would you help us to come with humility, recognising all of our limitations and weakness and asking for you to change us. Lord, may we hear how your word corrects us and challenges us. Would you give us the strength to respond in faith and to act in obedience to all that you say for the sake of our great saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That's live at five, Sunday the 6th of June. We will be back again next week. May you know the Lord's blessing in this week ahead.